Hello and welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable brought to you by Gestalt IT. My name is Rich Straffolino and I will be your intrepid host for this uh, podcast. Ordinarily, we uh, like to have a little fun. We like to talk about a single premise while we're on a premises. Uh, this time we're meeting with our esteemed panel in cyberspace. So I guess that's still uh, location, uh, at least until net neutrality uh, is uh, taken away and it becomes Verizon's proprietary uh, Netscape uh, navigation system or something like that, but that's a tangent for another time. No, this week we are meeting to discuss kind of uh, a look back and discuss what 2017 was all about. That's right, today we're going to be discussing 2017 was the year of blank. Joining us on today's panel, uh, we have Tom Hollingsworth, a.k.a. The Networking Nerd. Tom, how are you? I'm great, Rich. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I've had caffeine and I'm ready to go. We also uh, have on uh, the cyberspace today, Matt Lieb. Matt, how are you? Hi, Rich. I'm fine, thanks. And we have, uh, from across the pond, but not across from our hearts, Ian Sanderson. Ian, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much, Rich. How are you? I'm uh, so, so enthusiastic. I'm, I'm really excited. I haven't uh, uh, checked with anybody to see kind of what their answers were. I'm hoping... Uh, we all have maybe different takes, or maybe there's, there's going to be a universal theme. I hope it's pessimism. Uh, so uh, let's get into it. Uh, let's start out with you, Tom. Tom, what was 2017 the year of for you? <clears throat> well, I feel like 2017 was the year that SD-WAN grew up. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, um, SD-WAN is kind of the way that um, modern people are taking software-defined networking and applying it to an old problem that we had, which is um, when networking sucks and nobody likes to do it. And so we've heard rumblings of the last couple of years, you know, that SD-WAN is this thing that's happening and people are really excited about it. And and we've seen a lot of companies spring up along that, uh, around that. Well, in 2017, they all, uh, all kind of grew up and moved out of the house. Um, and most of them seemed to move into a different house. So we had Viptelo, which was uh, a, a large, well-known company, get bought by Cisco. Uh, we had VeloCloud get bought by VMware. Uh, we've had other companies like uh, uh, Silverpeak and Archaea and a bunch of other ones doing a really good job of making tons and tons of money. And I think that we've, we've reached the point where nobody wants to talk about it anymore. It's just a thing that happens. And that's how I know that we've reached the point where it's grown up, is everybody's bored by it. Tom, that's really interesting because my thought on, you know, I had kind of considered that uh, in the same vein uh, for for my selection. Uh, for me, my thought was that it we realized that SD WAN is a is a feature, not necessarily a product, or at least that's kind of the prevailing wisdom. I think for a lot of these companies, is that kind of the uh, along the same veins of growing up. Well, it, it kind of is. The, the problem you run into when you start getting into that feature product discussion is, would I ever go out and buy SD WAN? Versus whatever I would I go out and buy a product that features it and and the discussion that we've always had around feature versus product is you know could this stand alone and the answer believe it or not is uh, we found a report that came out um, about a month and a half ago it was right around the time that VeloCloud's uh, purchase was was being talked about um, um, you know we we have all these products that that have these feature sets involved in them whether they be Riverbed or Silver Peak or a lot of other companies, but believe it or not, the companies that were making all the money were the ones that did nothing but sell SD-WAN. So I would say it's not necessarily just a feature. I think it's a, it's a product that can be integrated to do feature sets from other things, but this is a very real thing that people are going to buy. The question is, 
are they still going to want to buy it from the friendly neighborhood networking vendor, the, the VMWares and the Cisco's? Yeah, and and I think by you know kind of in the the growing up discussion, it's also that um, we've it seems like we've largely settled down on what SD WAN means in in a way that even something like um, which is remarkable, be considering it's such a hot term and such a marketing term that uh, you know even when it's applied to enterprises or maybe service providers or, or differing audience, there's I think a level set of expectations that we haven't even seen. Um, even from something like HCI or something like that, where I still feel like that's be, that's been subsumed by marketing and now can mean anything that anyone wants. Um, where, but I, yeah, I, I kind of agree that, uh, there, there's a maturity to SD-WAN in that there's a rough idea of what that actually means now. True. Now, let me just put out this warning right now. If anyone's listening to this podcast, if you're going to try to make 2018 the year of HD, HCI SD WAN, I will find you, and I have a very particular set of skills. <laughs> no, that, that, that's the year of 2017, surely. That's the year of 2017. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on, uh, Ian. I, I'm really curious to hear uh, what is your, you know, 2017 is the year of. Uh, well, you've you've already touched on it. it. I was going to say HCI, so that's that's the road I'm going down. It's it's the era of HCI for me. So I'm more of an infrastructure guy, networking kind of guy. Um, I will not pretend to know anything about SD WAN other than what it stands for, which is why I didn't jump in on that conversation. But um, yeah, HCI. So you said HCI. It's, it's kind of lost in translation, but it it in general it's a convergence of systems of some description. Um, various uh, companies have their own interpretation of that. And NetApp released their offering this year. Um, Simplicity was bought by HPE. Uh, vSAN, which makes a part of VMware's sort of HCI offering, that's, that's going from strength to strength. Um, and Nutanix as well, which many say is kind of the leader in the HCI space. Um, so yeah, I mean, the company I work for, um, we've, we've, on sort of hardware refreshes, we've been moving away from the older cookie cutter, three hosts and a sand type of model for VMware, um, and more into the HCI space. It's more, it's more cost effective and it delivers better value for money. Yeah, I mean, the HCI space is really interesting. And, and the reason, you know, I, I say that is because we're already seeing people trying to double down. You know, I mean, we've HCI is already is already a a more refined, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of adding the networking component right from a from a converged infrastructure uh, uh, kind of take on that. We're already seeing people trying to get to hyper converged and, and, you know, trying to differentiate. We have. Uh, what is it? Datrium does true convergence and that, which is actually a divergence of some of the, the HCI stuff. But in terms of, you know, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, what is the major, uh, innovation? Is it, is it being able, is it being able to easily provision? Is it being able to kind of see everything in, in the same, manage everything from the same UI? Is it simply, you know, simplifying that inverted pyramid of virtualization that we've all kind of, uh, gotten used to? I'm, I'm just kind of curious, um, you know why it's so why it's so important and so vital for the modern enterprise. Um, well, honestly, one of the sort of the driving factors is 
the cost. Um, the example I gave there on the hardware refresh, it uh, nine times out of ten, it's worked out cheaper to um, to replace that tin with some kind of HCI infrastructure rather than separate host, separate SAN, um, maybe dedicated top rack switching. Um, it's it's been cheaper to do that, but yeah, the the management layer over the top of that as well. I mean that that's great. So if I use Nutanix example again, um, their Prism interface makes it really simple to provision storage, um, replicate storage to other nodes, etc. It it um, uh, I, I guess it converges rules as well. You don't have necessarily the SAN team anymore. You just have the the HCI team. Maybe it's just a new rule. Yeah. On the channel side, um, because I, I work for a reseller, uh, we find that a lot of customers are moving to HCI because uh, it's it's a far more manageable, far more cookie-cutter type of environment. Um, but certainly, we've always seen, ever since the introduction of these kinds of products, deployment out in the field. Um, but what I'm starting to see is is more of uh, uh, a larger uh, HCI type of clusters being implemented also in the in the home offices, whereas in the in the old days, uh, you know, a year or two ago, um, these these hyper converged uh, node based environments were great for remote offices and remote management. Um, today it's less of a hub and spoke and more of an overall architecture that I'm seeing uh, implemented. You know, we're in generation two of these devices. They've matured a lot since the beginning. Uh, and, and I think that it's a, a sort of a massive uh, shift in the product lines. Uh, we've also seen a bunch of other players jump into the fray. Uh, brands like uh, Pivot3 comes to mind. Uh, Datrium is another one, and and these these brands have something special to bring uh, from from their own particular perspective. Uh, you know, Pivot Three, for example, grew out of video uh, surveillance architectures with a VMware background, uh, and and I find that very interesting because it was a well designed architecture for a very different uh, use case in the beginning. But, it, you know, interestingly, I still find the, the naming convention, just like SD-WAN from a naming convention, really kind of irks me. Hyper-converged, in my mind, is supposed to mean hypervisor-converged, right? Not a bunch of pieces put together for a unique use case, but a hypervisor-based utility put together for a specific virtualization use case. Do you, so, do you guys see that? Well, I Matt, you know, just from my briefings that I've had, I you know, I have heard um I, I have heard some calls of companies trying to differentiate on the fact that um you know, there there's more of a hardware agnostic element to them as opposed to something like a Nutanix where, you know, you're buying, you know, Nutanix hardware and Daydream's kind of making that argument as well. Even though they'll sell you a box, you can technically run it on, you know, theoretically on what you have in your data center. So, you know, I, I, I think that that I think that's more of a differentiator for companies when they're trying to come in against uh, some of the, the major incumbents. 
No, I can I can appreciate that. What I'm talking about more to the point is, um, and and no disrespect to these products, but these um, copy data management solutions that are being referred to as as hyperconverged as well. Uh, it's there's no hypervisor on that. I mean, they're, they're great products. The rubrics and the cohesities of the world, fantastic products, and do what they're supposed to do fabulously. What they don't do is answer the question to me: Why is that hyperconverged? I, I, I guess the play, I guess the play that rubric has, at least in my mind, is: Hey, look, it's a two U box with three or four sleds in it. Um, it's converged, but you know, it's still four servers in a in a box at the end of the day. Uh, again, I can I can accept that it's it is converged. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's not hyper converged. Well, if I can, if I can jump in here, um, I actually I know exactly where to lay the blame for this whole problem. Um, the and, marketer, uh, you you beat me to it. One specific Sorry. marketer, Nutanix, um, and and here's the reason why. Um, and this is a, this is a problem we've seen across all markets this year. X is all you need to be successful in the world. Just buy X, and X could be anything: SDN, hyper converged. Um, electric cars, what have you. The problem is when you have traditional IT, traditional vendor companies that are faced with that marketing message, guess what they do? Well, hey, look at our thing. Our thing yeah. is X as well. We've we always done X. Defined, didn't we? Yeah. And, and, and what happened when that happened? Now, everything becomes the thing that, that is selling. So, mm -hmm. yeah, if, if hyperconverged is selling like hotcakes and your system even vaguely resembles it, Guess what? It's now hyper-converged, and you totally need to buy it. Well, can I do this with it? That's not important right now. You still need to buy this. Right. Irrelevant. Exactly. Yeah, Tom, I've had a number of briefings, uh, and I don't want to call anybody out specifically, but uh, with companies that, you know, you're, you're basically a software-defined storage company, uh, but you cleaned up your UI, so now all of a sudden you're an HCI company because reasons um, is, is, like, definitely a trend going on. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I, 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 I bristle at, at, you know, useless marketing. Uh, and, and it's not, it's, it's not disrespect. I understand the point. Uh, you know, jump on that bandwagon, call yourself whatever the heck you want to call yourself. But it really is nice when, uh, oh, to, to quote an old, uh, tech field day, um, uh, visit we had with a, a vendor a while back words do mean things yeah and i think where companies get in trouble is and for a lot of these older you know not not even older companies but companies that have had a product line for a while that has you know maybe a feature set uh, vaguely in line with hci i do think there is the you know hey we were doing this before it was cool and now all of a sudden there's there's kind of a rush to to rebrand and and maybe try and capture some mind share because you're using the hot new term Exactly. So, Matt, uh, kind of going into that, do you have a, a hopefully uh, mar a, a, a trend that was uh, has less marketing hype uh, with it than HCI for, for your 2017 year of? Well, so I've had a couple thoughts on, on this one. And, and, Rich, you opened it up by saying hopefully pessimistic. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if that's really what you meant. But from a pessimistic point of view, uh, you know, this whole – Ruling on net neutrality is, uh, uh, I think, 
going to if if it ends up truly going through uh and and i think that's sort of up in the air right now it's going to change the entire landscape for the average end user the average uh corporation uh unless you are able to pay the big bucks i think the the whole um doing away with a net neutrality approach uh is can't be ignored as a as a potential trend this year um, well, as Matt, I'm specifically interested in, you know, how do you see it shaking out for uh, on the enterprise side? Like, what, what are the impacts of that? Because I think everyone is, is you know, the consumer side of that has a lot of awareness to it, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's no end to hyperbolic Facebook posts about it, uh, whether, you know, <laughs> devoid of fact or not. Uh, but I, I and I, I completely agree with you that it is a major decision and, and kind of uh, ends 2017 on a little bit of a depressing note in the U.S. at least. Um, but like yeah. I, I, in terms of specifically business enterprise uh, and, and maybe even a cloud perspective, how do you see this uh, having an impact? Well, you know, it's it's um, I, I recently uh, did a somewhat deep dive into what is probably the, the largest single cost line item on a an enterprise's uh, budget, and that's uh, licensing and support. Um, I think we're going to add another one to it. If if a company wants to get the kind of uh, transfer uh, transfer rates that they need to do things like communicate with remote offices, communicate with the outside world, do replication across the wire, uh, all of that, um, I think is is going to ultimately just cost a whole lot more um, and it, and and certainly uh, it all it's going to really do is make a lot of money for the the providers of this bandwidth and I think the rest of us who are smaller organizations and 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 individuals we're going to find that in order to offset you know what has been a an overarching growing demand for bandwidth, um, we're just going to find ourselves paying more as well. Well, Where does that money go to? Are they talking about building up a greater infrastructure? Uh, Is this going to be a scalable thing? Uh, I have no idea because we really don't know what the net result is going to be, the end um, uh, uh, of this, this whole argument. But if it does go through, I think ultimately that there's going to be some winners, and those winners are the content and 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 transfer providers, and there's going to be a lot of losers, and that's everybody who uses that content and transfer. Tom, I'm I'm interested in your perspective on this. Uh, we we've had some discussions on uh, the Gestalt IT rundown, uh, kind of in regards to this. We discussed this briefly, but from a from a business perspective, how do you see this uh, decision uh, uh, playing out? Well, it's interesting because uh, a lot of well, a lot of what we've been hearing is very focused on the consumer market. You know, I'm going to have to pay extra for Netflix. I'm going to have to pay to post on Twitter, um, and I don't really think that that's going to be the way that things go. Um, we've seen, believe it or not, in this in 2017, we've seen the power that a group of users can have when they push back against bad decisions. 
uh, look at the Patreon thing that just came up a couple weeks ago. Patreon wanted to to raise their rates because, well, hey, Patreon wants to make money, and they were they have users leaving in droves. Now it's a little different because you can't exactly switch your ISP, but you can definitely get enough people to push back and say, okay, we're not going to put up with this crap. The people that really have a hard time with this are the ones that are in the middle, the Netflix of the world. I don't think that Verizon wants to screw you or me. I mean, relatively speaking, they would still love to get as much of our money as possible. What they want to do is they want to make Netflix pay. It's like, oh, hey, Netflix is pumping how much traffic through my network and they're not paying any more than anybody else would? Oh, we are not going to tolerate that crap anymore. And they've, they've done it before. They've done it before the rules were enshrined. So I think what we're going to see is a two-tier problem. We're going to see businesses, like, you know, like, um, like Matt alluded to, the businesses that are heavy, consu- heavy consumers of bandwidth, uh, video chat services, telemedicine, uh, Netflix, those kinds of companies are going to get absolutely blasted with charges if this goes through. Now, what are they going to do? They're not going to take it laying down, but they can't really push back against the ISP, so they're going to pass all that along to customers. Oh, we're raising your weights $5 a month from here on out because it's the only way that we're going to be able to stay in business because we're just getting gouged by the ISPs. And what happens is consumers get pissed at the ISPs not realizing that this is not even a fight between them, that this is a fight between the middleman and the provider, and they're just getting dragged in because they're the source of income. And so we're going to have these – I hope this doesn't come to pass, but we're basically going to have this three-way war between people paying for content, claiming they're being overcharged, providers being claimed that they're overcharged from the ISPs and having to pass the cost along, and the ISPs sitting there with their hands in the air going, hey, we're just trying to make everything fair while we sit here on our mountain of cash and swim through it. So, Ian, I'm, I'm really curious on your perspective on this coming uh, from the UK. How does, does – like – does this just sound like crazy town to you or, or like how, how does this discussion, uh, you know, play in the UK? Um, to be honest, I haven't really been that involved with the net neutrality thing. I, I see a lot of um, people getting quite angry about it on Twitter, but I haven't I haven't looked that much into it, if I'm being perfectly honest. Well, you know, it, and, and that kind of states that, uh, you know. Because it's not, you know, it's not a policy uh, conversation uh, that the UK, uh, you know, uh, deems worthy of having. Um, uh, whereas, you know, it's increasingly becoming a partisan issue um, in the U.S. I do think it might um, signal, you know, there, like you, like Tom and, and Matt, you were saying, there are a lot of stakeholders um, in, you know, that uh, uh, you, between the consumer and the ISP uh, that uh, would potentially object to this, as well as being massively unpopular just with consumers in general. And so, you know, I think we've kind of reached the point now where we see that, you know, from the FCC or FTC perspective, you know, maybe we've reached the end of where a regulatory agency directly has control over that. And this becomes a legislative issue, which I'm sure no one really wants because, you know, a legislature in the U.S. is slow to arguably broken, depending on who you ask. So I'm I'm. I'm interested to see if the massive consumer unpopularity and powerful stakeholders, you know, like, you know, Netflix is not the size of um, of a Time Warner or whatever, but there's still a huge company and there's still a lot of companies that would be impacted um, by these new rules that have a lot of money to lobby. So um, I'm interested to see as this moves into a legislative process, how that uh, that all shakes out. Yeah, me too. 
All right. And so I'll, uh, I think I'll just end the show real quick. I didn't have, uh, uh, like I said, Tom, for my 2017 is the year of blank. I thought about SD WAN, um, but I ended up going with this kind of the year, uh, that at least from what I've seen, it's 2017 will be remembered as, uh, the year when, uh, data management became kind of front and center, um, uh, in terms of a lot of conversations that I'm hearing. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we've, I've been hearing the, uh, uh, Keith Townsend has been beating the drum that, uh, data is the new oil. Uh, I see that post like every other day from him. And, and, and I, I completely agree with him. And you can see this in that a lot of, uh, old storage companies, um, whether they're, you know, in, uh, in, in backup or DR or whatever, um, all of a sudden are now data management companies. That, that is the, the new hotness. And, but, and I, and I think that's partly marketing and what we were talking about of, Hey, we want to be part of this cool new trend. But I think it's, it's also the fact that, um, we're seeing that being increasingly important. I, I think that's a lot of the reason, uh, we're seeing, you know, hybrid cloud being more of a thing because some people want, like, want, need, or must have something in a local data center. They need to have some kind of control over data that's not just being punted up to a data center in, you know, uh, in the cloud. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that was kind of my takeaway from 2017. The only thing that worries me about that takeaway is if data really is the new oil, who's the new J.R. Ewing of data? And for those of you who didn't get that reference, uh, go to Wikipedia and look up Dallas <laughs> and who shot J.R.? Now, I know that there are probably some of you on this call that are not, probably weren't even born when that came out. But the idea that there could be someone that could could kind of run that, that could really control the 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 flow of data because it's funny that no one wants to own the data when it gets exposed when when my credit card number somehow gets magically popped out of a target POS system all of a sudden we can't figure out who owns the data but when it comes time for people to start taking stock of well you know this much data means we have power over x oh hey look i'm the owner of that data and i'm just a little worried that we're we're basically creating uh nuclear weapons so the uh, if data really is the new oil and it's the new way we're going to do economy, if it's just going to sit around until someone decides to use it, it's kind of useless, but it has the power to be way, way too powerful in our lives. Yeah, and, and I've actually been thinking about that metaphor. And, you know, obviously, it's just a way to frame the discussion. We don't, you know, we don't have to uh, cinema sends it and, uh, you know, assume it has to be literal. But I actually, um, I, I've started to think of, of data as the kind of an equivalent to solar energy, actually, where we're just now starting to realize, like, we need to utilize it more efficiently. Um, like, you know, uh, we, we've had solar, you know, for decades, um, but it's been extremely inefficient and it hasn't been maybe all that practical to harness it. Um, whereas, you know, now it, it, it is increasingly, uh, you know, there's more of an emphasis on getting the most out of uh, what you're what you're putting in for for a little bit. So I, I'm still teasing that out, and that might be a blog post on Gestalt IT at some point. Uh, but uh, mm -hmm. that's that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I, I you know I, I certainly see that that data has intrinsic value, uh, and I, I definitely agree that uh, uh, in the enterprise space, particularly, a lot of organizations have no idea to leverage the power or how to leverage the power of their data. Uh, it, it's a big part of, of what I do on a daily basis. And, um, and I think that we're going to probably see tools uh, in and around the management of that data 
that that grow in their in their capabilities. Uh, you know, the Splunks of the world. Uh, these are softwares that are are designed to to take advantage of and present to the user. Uh, not take advantage of the user. That didn't sound right. Um, <laughs> but uh, present to the user in a in a functional way the 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 particular parameters they may be seeking. And and I I think that there's value to that. But when you get to a more global perspective, uh, you know the quote unquote who owns the 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 data from a uh, from a cloud uh, and and overarching perspective. It gets a real. It, it becomes a real muddy conversation, uh, and and really worthwhile. Yeah, I've got a slightly different take on this as well. So we've seen this from um, a presentation Activio gave at, at Tech Field Day. Some of the backup vendors as well. Is um, you have a lot of this cool data set doing nothing when it's in backup form. And it's how do you then leverage that and put that data to work and drive some some value from that as well. Um, so Actifio was sold the idea of being able to present databases from um, backups that were stored on object-based storage in public cloud, for example. Um, so that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, and we've even seen Microsoft um, with some of their blob storage uh, kind of adding in some, some you know, capabilities to get, uh, you know, that even when data is cold, there's still a, a significant percentage of that that needs to get touched and, and, and can have some value to it. Um, and, and, and they're kind of putting in hooks into Azure blob storage uh, to let people kind of to play with that a little bit. We've seen, I think, uh, I, I saw a quick thing from like a company, Archive 360, that was building off some analytics based on that. So, yeah, I, I completely agree that uh, that that's a really interesting avenue for that as well. All right. Well, I think that just about brings us to the end. Um, you know, uh, I think from our takeaways is that 2017 was filled with marketing bluster and, uh, you know, um, interesting, uh, interesting changes to the data center. Uh, and also some abject depression uh, from Matt. So thank you for that. Um, so let's let, let's let's go around the table. Um, Ian, where can people uh, uh, hear more from you and see some of your writing and check you out? Yes, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. Uh, really embarrassing Twitter handle of Ian zero X zero R. That's when I thought I was elite way back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Ian Oxall, or you can find my blog at www snurf.co.uk which after I registered the domain I found out it was a legal high so if you search for drugs you find my blog <laughs> <laughs> alright Matt where can uh, people hear from you um, so Twitter is always the best way to reach me I'm at M-B-L-E-I-B and um, as Chris Evans said my blog is probably the the longest single word name out there. It's uh, virtually tied to my desktop.com. That would, you know, make a good password um, if it wasn't like a cogent thought as well, Matt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. And there's Tom. No oh, yeah. Uh, yes, Matt. <laughs> I said there's no special characters. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll uh, get some of that uh, lead speak from uh, Ian's Twitter handle and we'll put that in there to mix it up. 
to do that. <laughs> and Tom, where can people find you? Well, if you want to read my uh, crazy thoughts, you can always go to networkingnerd.net. Um, I publish my original work there. I also publish some great stuff on our sister site at gestaltit.com. Sometimes that's uh, original pieces. Sometimes that's original ramblings. And then if you want to catch the freshest ramblings, you can head over to my Twitter handle, which is at networkingnerd. But I need to warn you, snark abounds. <laughs> I, uh, I can verify snarks. that. Uh, and if you uh, want to hear more from me, it's at Mr. Anthropology, MR Anthropology on Twitter. And uh, I'm writing at Gestalt IT as well, as you probably know if you're listening to this. Um, and uh, if you haven't already subscribed, rate and review the on premise IT roundtable. Really helps us out, gets us up in the ratings, and gets us a little more visibility. Um, and uh, yeah, and if you ever have a topic that you want us to cover on here, shoot it to me uh, on Twitter, like I said, at Mr. Anthropology. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, I think we'll have one more show in the uh, in 2017, uh, and then we'll be on for a fresh batch of episodes of new premises and premises. Sure, why not? Uh, in 2018. So thanks for listening. Take care, everybody, and have a super sparkly day. <laughs>